0: Excited uh, that I get to also preach today, um, as maybe the youth can probably testify to preaching is actually probably one of my favorite things to do in terms of ministry um, arguably it 's because I talk a lot, but actually it 's because I really like learning and wrestling with uh, the, the Word of God and dis- determining how it applies. Um, And then being able to teach and convey that to other people. And as much as I would love to be teaching the youth and the children here today, I think Stephen and the youth ministry have prepared something for you. So if you would like to make your graceful exit, I believe now is the time. So for everyone else, you're stuck here with me. Um, And welcome to the last message of our Better Together series. We've been going through Acts 2. We've seen the wonderful ways that the early church came together to glorify God. And it's my last day. I had the pleasure of wrapping up. I could talk about a topic that I have a particular passion for. And like we were just talking about, I'll be leaving for Mexico in a couple of weeks. While I'm excited to go, I'm really sad to leave you all. Um, I'm thankful for each and every one of you uh, and the role that you've played in the journey the Lord has had for me thus far. Um, I'm thankful for everyone who's supporting me in this transition as well, Um, and like I said, I'm really sentimental, so before I get too teary-eyed up here, um, let's pray and receive a message from the Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, um, Lord, we come to you because we are seeking to know you more. We are seeking your wisdom. We are seeking to know what is your will for us in our lives, Lord. I am up here as a man of unclean lips. I pray that you would sanctify those, that you would um, make them clean to present the message that you have prepared. I pray that you would prepare the hearts of the congregation to listen, um, have open ears, that their hearts would be changed, that they would have a zeal and a passion for you, Lord. Um, We trust in you because it is only through your power that we are able to do anything. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So if you know me, I'm a fairly ambitious and intentional person. You may be surprised. Uh, I was actually called like intense or intimidating back in college uh, because of that ambition and intentionality. Oops. The most fun part, though, of being ambitious and intentional is that I get to ask the question why all the time. I'm sure I drove my parents mad. They're here. You can ask them later. But I would always just like ask why, why, why as a kid, right? And every parent here has experienced that. But unlike most kids, I never stopped asking why as I got older. And you can learn a lot by asking why. And when making decisions, asking why helps provide clarity and purpose to life as well. I like to excel in everything that I do, but it's easy to get lost in trying to become something better and forget the why behind it. For example, last year I shared that during the lockdown I had started streaming video games online. It had become a way for me to meet people and make friends. I got to share about my life as a Christian as well as be like an older brother to many of them. I'm very thankful for that community and for the opportunities God gave me to be a blessing to them. However, What I found is that a couple of months after sharing about that experience, I started putting a lot more time into the specific game I was playing. I was striving for excellence in the game, trying to get better for the sake of getting better. I had lost the purpose that I had brought into streaming. It had started as a place for me to serve and be a blessing to people online, and it became about me and getting better at these games for my own benefit and glory. I had been enjoying my time streaming, but once I lost that purpose, I stopped finding joy in it. It took several months for me to realize what had happened, and once I did, I stopped streaming entirely. It was no longer about God. It was about me. So for this sermon series, we've been talking about being better together and asking the question, Is church more than a hobby? focusing on Acts 2 to see what the Lord has for us, let me take this why mindset and ask ourselves, what are we better together for? What is God's purpose for his church? So some context on our passage. After the Spirit came down on the disciples during Pentecost, Peter preached a powerful sermon, calling the people to repent, to be baptized, and receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit and forgiveness for their sins. He pleaded with them, and the Lord added to the burgeoning church. With that context, we come to these words from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts... They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So let's recall what the other wonderful speakers of this series have taught us. Caitlin started us off by pointing us to devotion to each other in the body of believers and to the apostles' teaching. Pastor Kevin taught us about the power of the Lord and that faith means taking action on the Lord's promises. Pastor Wayne illustrated the beauty of a generous church that has all things in common with the radical story of his daughter. Pastor Ben showed us why we all need the church for the people, the principles, and the purpose. And just last week, Pastor Eric taught us the power of a godly community in loving those around us, and how that draws people into the church as they tell the story of God at work. All of this together paints a wonderful vision of what the church can be. Who doesn't want to live in a community like that one? Fully supported by those around you and giving support where it's needed with generosity that oozes from person to person. Having friends that are closer than family, devoted to one another, who seek your good and cover you with love. Dedication to the Lord and praising him altogether. Eating together, already one of our favorite things to do, with glad and sincere hearts. And the members of the church had favor with all people within or outside of the church. With that as a witness... It is of no surprise that people's hearts were softened, and the Lord brought many to join the young church. I would want to join. This is an idyllic example of what the church can look like. But in some ways, it's idealized beyond reality. The example of the early church should inspire us to be better together. But the reality is that after a couple chapters, we see that man's sinfulness is present within the church when Ananias and Sapphira Sapphira, try to take advantage of the church. So while no church is perfect the early church still gives us a vision to strive for. This is a wonderful, holy goal for the church to be working towards. This is how we're better together. With this image, let's go to my favorite question. Wait, why? What is the church for? You may think that it sounds like a safe environment and community to be a part of. You may think it sounds like the best community you could have to grow and flourish. Or you may think that it's just the most efficient way for the church to work. While all of these thoughts are true, instead of relying on human wisdom, let's look at what Jesus tells the apostles in his last words to them in Matthew twenty-eight seventeen through 20, which greatly enough was in the video at the end as well. Um, so here's what it says. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is one of the most recognizable passages in scripture, maybe like one level below John 3.16, right? But sometimes when we know a passage so well, instead of letting the word sink in, often when we hear it, we just skip right over the magnitude of what's being said. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is calling the disciples to go forth and to follow in Jesus their master's footsteps, to make disciples. Jesus called his disciples to him, and they followed. Jesus spent three years with the disciples, living alongside them, teaching them. Nothing crazy, nothing spectacular, just living life and offering wisdom and teaching when it was applicable. And that's the exact model that Jesus is calling his disciples to replicate, Jesus raised up disciples who are obedient to the commands of scripture, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and who are to raise up disciples in the same way, and on and on and on, through generations of disciples, until we get to you and me here today. That is what the church is for. That is what the devotion, fellowship, food, generosity, and everything is all in service to. It's all for making disciples. And discipleship has changed my life, personally. I have been incredibly blessed throughout my life with disciples that the Lord has provided. When living overseas, even though my family did not have a church community, my father brought the family together to listen to sermons and talk about God each week, demonstrating that church was more than just a hangout. In high school, I had a leader who walked alongside me and the other boys in my class, mentoring us not only in our faith journey, but also just in living life. In college, I had upperclassmen that I looked up to who walked and talked with me, sharing their wisdom and inspiring me to grow in my faith. My college pastor officially discipled me as well, meeting up with me regularly and challenging me to be better and grow in obedience to Christ. When I became an upperclassman, I discipled two boys as well, meeting with them each week to study the Word, but also talk about life and struggles of faith. And now at CLC, I have been blessed with... Many more disciples and Pastor On and Pastor Andrew and Pastor Ben who have all mentored me and spoken into my life over my years here. I've been helping with the youth ministry for five years and blessed with discipling the kids in that time too. I have a discipleship group with John and Will and Josh where we meet each month to share about life and encourage one another. I pray somewhat regularly with Gordon Yagisawa and Will Louie uh, and I meet regularly with one of the CLC college students for discipleship. There are many other examples of when brothers and sisters have given me wisdom or correction, which is definitely a blessing I'm thankful for. However, the regularity and consistency of meeting up with the same brothers week after week is incomparable. They grow to know me in ways that very few have. That depth and vulnerability can be scary, but it's so special. And while they were a blessing to me, None of my disciples are like super Christians or anything, right? They're really just normal people, They're, right? They're not anything special. They're all ordinary men seeking to glorify God by walking alongside a younger brother. They, were, they weren't perfect by any means, but they tried, and the Lord was faithful to their efforts. Discipleship changed my life. I was humbled by my ignorance of the Bible, by my immaturity that brothers lovingly called me out on, by my inability to lead and teach the boys I discipled. In those relationships, the Lord was so good to me in drawing me closer to him. I was encouraged in my Bible reading, even through fits and starts and failings. I was challenged in my relationship with a brother I was discipling when I lost my patience with him and I got frustrated. I had to confront my sinfulness of anger and reconcile with him. I had to submit and trust in the Lord when it felt like all of my teaching and leading was going nowhere. I learned to remember and place my faith in the Lord's promises that our works to serve him do not return void. Discipleship is my favorite part of church. Discipleship is where theology meets real life. Discipleship is where we are humbled by situations we don't know how to respond to. Discipleship is where we acknowledge our ignorance and have to wrestle over an issue like racial justice or same-sex attraction or personal sin struggles like anger or lust with a fellow brother or sister in humility. Discipleship is where we fall at the feet of Jesus and ask for guidance because we have no clue what we're doing. Discipleship is where we see the fruit of the Spirit born out in our lives and the lives of others around us. Discipleship is where we grow in our faith striving after the same perfection that Paul strove for. It is in discipleship where I have learned obedience to the commands that God has given. It is in discipleship where I most dearly have to cling onto Christ, where I am confronting my own sinfulness and seeking to be made more Christ-like. Or I am teaching and leading others and trusting in the Spirit to give me wisdom and discernment instead of relying on my own worldly wisdom. We are better together because it is only in community that we can grow as and make disciples of Jesus. So my challenge to you, CLC, is this. How are you walking in discipleship to Jesus right now? And how are you joining in the mission of making disciples? Someone I admire once told me that if we aren't being discipled and discipling others, what is our ministry even for? If discipleship is the purpose of the church, How can we do anything but participate in it? This is the glorious purpose the Lord has given. But church, let's not forget how we got here. Once again, let's ask my favorite question. Wait, why? Why are we called to discipleship? Why is discipleship the purpose of the church? Or phrase another way, if making disciples is the church's purpose, what is the disciples' purpose? Let's consider what people do best. Several theologians called the human heart an idol factory because we are always worshiping something. It is no question that we will worship. It's just a question of what. C.S. Lewis says, The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Like I said, it's not a question of whether or not we will worship, but rather what we will worship. Looking at the word of God, we find several examples of a common command, if not the most common command in the Bible. Psalm 34, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 32, uh, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart. Psalm 67, 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Psalm 100, verse 1 and 2. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak about what they care about. Just like when you finish a great book or watch a great basketball player, right? You can't help but overflow with praise for them. You have to read Red Rising. It's so intense I couldn't put it down. You have to watch Into the Spider-Verse. It's so cool. The animation is gorgeous. You have to try working out with gymnastic strings. It's so rewarding and way more fun than weightlifting. And these are all things that I've said about way less important things than God. And yet I sing their praise, just like C.S. Lewis said. And if I will praise these little things, How much more must I praise the greatest thing? How much more must I praise Jesus Christ and his gospel of grace freely given? The people of God, the church exists so that we may worship God. The church exists so that we may worship God in the best way possible. The church is brought together so that we may be better together, so that we may worship God better together. If the church's purpose is making disciples, the disciples' purpose is worshiping God. That is beautiful. There's nothing quite like the satisfaction of figuring out the roots behind an idea, the clarity that like settles my soul. So let's say that again. If the, if the church's purpose is making disciples, the disciples' purpose is worshiping God. And so let's not stop there. Let's ask more questions. My favorite thing to do. Who are we to make disciples of? Going back to the last thing Jesus said, we find our answer. Go and make disciples of all nations. Pastor Eric talked about the godly community within the church and how when we're out in the world telling our story, telling the story of what the Lord has done, then people will come. When we are out giving ourselves sacrificially, the Lord will be faithful to that witness. Whether it's having uncomfortable conversations and speaking boldly of what God has done, or if it's giving up your leisure time of watching your favorite TV show or playing your favorite sport, to be discipled. The Lord will be faithful to our witness and bring people to faith as disciples so they can join us in worship. However, if we only look to the people around us, how will the whole world know? The church cannot be limited to the people inside of it, or even to the people right around us. We have to go into the whole world so they can receive the same gift that we have. After all, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So that is why I'm leaving for Mexico. I want to have beautiful feet. Just kidding. I'm leaving for Mexico for one simple reason. People worshiping God do not exist across the whole world, and the name of God deserves to be worshiped everywhere, by everyone. John Piper has a famous quote, missions exists because worship doesn't. We go out into the world so that more and more people, people from every nation, will know and worship God. That is the simple truth. Nothing but a passion for the Lord is sufficient motivation to go to the mission field. This is not an endeavor that can be entered into alone, and I'm thankful to have this church behind me as I start my journey. I'm thankful that I've been able to serve and be sanctified here over the past six years. I would like to humbly ask all of you to partner with me as I start this journey. To be honest, it is a little intimidating, but knowing that the path before me will be covered in prayer I can have the confidence that it is not my own strength that matters, for the Lord is with me through you. I'm reading a missionary biography about James Fraser, who went to China with OMF. It's called Mountain Rain, and James wrote this: the following while in the despair of not seeing fruit from his labor. This quote summarizes the importance of support from churches back home. I believe it will only be known on the last day how much has been accomplished in missionary work by the prayers of earnest believers at home. We can't do this alone. So I'm so, I'm thankful for all of you and your prayers supporting me and the other missionaries that CLC supports. Your prayers are invaluable to the task at hand. There's another quote from Mountain Rain that really stuck out to me. If our master returned today to find millions of people unevangelized and looked, as of course he would look to, us for an explanation. I cannot imagine what explanation we should give. Of one thing I am certain, that most of the excuses we are accustomed to make with such good conscience now, we shall be wholly ashamed of them. Doesn't that hit like a gut punch? There's such urgency to attend to the task at hand. Every day, there are tens of thousands of unreached and unevangelized people who die having never heard the good news. But ultimately, it still comes back to a passion for our God. That we want to be pleasing to him with our lives. And that's what I want. When I inevitably die and get to see my Lord in heaven, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's my life's ambition. I'm not sure what more to say because it's truly that simple. (laughs) My life is like an offering to be poured out before the Lord in everything that I do. I want to live my life as worship to God and I want to do whatever I can to glorify God in all things. This isn't going to get any better, by the way. Looking back, I can see how the Lord has been shaping the path of my life, and it makes this verse from Ephesians ring even more true. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared it in advance for us to do. By listening to the calling the Lord has put on our lives, we are worshiping him. God has set the stage for us. He has crafted us into the precise people that we are, So that we may perform the good works that he prepared that are suited to who he made us to be. And all we have to do is walk in the good works the Lord prepared beforehand for us. And just as I can see how the Lord has prepared good works for me to walk in by his grace, I know that he has similarly prepared good works for each and every one of you. As William Carey said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And each of you, transformed by the power of the Spirit, are capable of great things. He has made you into just the person you are to be for the Lord's glory. To bear witness to the gospel. It is simply up to you to step into the Lord's plans for you. Make space for the Lord to interfere in your comfortably crafted lives. Go ask that person if you can disciple them or be discipled by them. Start a family devotional to disciple your kids. Invite some coworkers to join you for a lunchtime Bible study. Offer to pray for them. If you aren't sure what to do, I don't know, pray. <laughs> Ask the Lord to give you guidance and conviction. Remember, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. It isn't about us. Don't get caught in the lie of finding the perfect thing to do. Another quote. From Mountain Rain, which is a really good book, by the way, since I've quoted it like four times. The plain truth is that the scriptures never teach us to wait for opportunities, I'm okay, of service, but to serve in just the things that lie next to our hands. The Lord bids us work, watch, and pray. But Satan suggests wait. Wait until a good opportunity for working, watching, and praying presents itself. And needless to say, this opportunity, it's always in the future. Submit, let the Lord interfere. Take a step of faith and devote yourself to the Lord, to discipleship, to the church. We've gone through a lot of transitions as a church in the last couple of years. We've had pastors leaving, we had COVID, the transition to online church and back. And now we have another one or transitioning to a new building. Transitions are hard. Right? I said at the top, this is the longest I've stayed in one place. I moved around a lot. They're stressful. But as someone who has moved around a lot, I also know that transitions are an opportunity to start fresh. And if you're feeling dry in your faith, use this transition as an opportunity to take a bold step of Faith. With the Lord, he will be with you, and he is faithful. So, let's answer our overarching question. Is church a hobby? Is church a hobby? What even is a hobby? It's probably good to know before we answer our question, right? A hobby is an activity that we engage in for our pleasure. Basically, a hobby is something fun. It's all about asking, how can I entertain myself? We do things like fishing, or baking, or wakeboarding, or watching TV, or any other hobby, trying to keep our days interesting. Ultimately, hobbies are all about me. And this should be surprising to no one, but I'm a huge nerd, and I would say that my favorite hobby is learning. (laughs) That's right. 10 out of 10 would recommend. So my desire to learn is all about self-enrichment and curiosity. It's super fun. I have spent long hours learning about topics as varied as music theory, even though I don't play an instrument. Open sea navigation, as done by Polynesians, because I was inspired after watching Moana. Linguistics, because languages are fascinating. By the grace of God... He has often used this hobby of mine to just learn whatever I want to learn. But ultimately, hobbies are driven by my own desires and interests, not because I want to glorify God. So, is church a hobby? Absolutely not. It is not as a hobby that I and others leave behind everything that we have here to go to the nations. It is not as a hobby that we choose to do what's uncomfortable or awkward in sharing our faith in the workplace. It is not as a hobby that we raise our children in the way of Christ. No, it's as an act of worship that we do these things. Only a zeal for the Lord can push us to make the required sacrifices to become a missionary, offer to pray for your coworker, or patiently disciple your children in the way of Christ. There's nothing wrong with hobbies, but if you see church as a hobby, if you see church about giving you fun or enrichment or service, you have it all upside down and backwards. It isn't fun to disciple others, to walk alongside people in their messy lives. It isn't fun to be vulnerable and expose the messy parts of ourselves to others as we seek to grow as disciples of Christ. But it is joyful. While it is hard work and challenging to be a disciple and to be disciple or and to disciple others, it is the most joyful thing that you can do because it is in discipleship that we are living into the purpose that God made us for. It is in discipleship that we fulfill our purpose. What is our purpose? That's right. With every part of our lives, it's to worship and glorify God. So I'll ask you once again, CLC, how are you walking in discipleship to Jesus? And how are you joining in the mission of making disciples? Let us participate in this glorious mission the Lord has given us. Go and make disciples who love God, love people, and who seek to serve the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is not how I expected this sermon to go. But Lord, I am thankful for the message that you have delivered today. I pray that this would be a moment that sticks out for people. I pray that this would be something that encourages them to pursue you with a fiery passion. That no other thing can compare to who you are. That anything and everything can and should be sacrificed if it means that we get to worship you. Thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite worship team up here to do their thing.